To what are you, individually, think about your life and think about to what are you committed? I mean, really, just be real. You're the only one that can hear your thoughts. To, to what are you committed? Or if you think about it in terms of your individual family, to what is your family truly committed? To what kind of things is your family committed? Or if we thought about it collectively as a whole church body, to what is this church family committed? I, I like the phrase revolve around. It's a good metaphor. It helps us to think about it. What does your life revolve around? Or around what does your life revolve? I think about the solar system, right? The solar system is full of all kinds of things, moons and planets and satellites, and everything is sort of doing its own thing. But at the same time, at the middle of it all, at the center of it all, there's the the sun, right? Yeah, pop quiz, okay, yeah. So at the center of it all is the sun, and the sun is so big and so dense and so massive, and its gravitational pull is so great that everything else in the solar system revolves around that. And that's a lot like your life, isn't it? You've got all kinds of things going on in your life. You've got bills that need to be paid, and you've got deadlines that need to be met. You've got hopes and dreams and worries, and you've got people and, and things and, and all kinds of things going on in your life. But at the center of it all, there's probably something. Something around which everything else revolves. So let's... Let's just be really reflective this morning and ask ourselves, go to lunch today. Have the courage to ask yourself at lunch. Ask your family to help you work through it individually or work through it as a family and say, around what does our family really revolve? Sometimes if we're honest as parents, a lot of times our life as parents revolves around our kids. And if we're not careful, we can kind of look at everything that we do in our life, the, from the things that we spend money on to the things that we don't spend money on to the choices that we make, the priorities that we have, our hopes and dreams and fears all sort of revolve around in one way or another our kids. Or, or maybe it's something that's not quite so concrete. Maybe it's abstract like happiness. And if we're really honest, at the center of it all, the reason why we don't do certain things and the reason why we do other things is just because we do what makes us happy. Why do you have that job? It makes me happy. Why do you drive that car? I like it. It makes me happy. Why do you live in that house? Why are you married to that person? Why do you eat that? Why do you go there? And at the center of it all is, I just really want to be happy. Or maybe at the center of your universe is the idea, I just want to be successful or I want to be thought of as successful. Let's be real with ourselves and ask ourselves, around what does our life really revolve? To what are you committed? To what is your family committed? And I, I think the story this morning will help us to work through that and ask ourselves those types of incredibly challenging questions. And the story this morning is about Hanukkah. And probably a lot of us don't know a whole lot about Hanukkah, if we're real honest. You know, we know it's sometime in December, and we know that there's something to do with the menorah, but we really don't know the story. And the reason you don't know, or you might not know the story of Hanukkah, is because when it started, and, and how it started, was in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And a lot of us don't know a whole lot about the time period in between the Old and the New Testament. 
There's a lot that happened during that 400 years, a lot of important things that happened in that 400 years. When, when our Old Testament closes, the empire that's in charge of the world and that rules over the land of Jerusalem and, and Palestine, the, the empire that's in charge is Persia, you remember? So when the Old Testament ends, Persia is in charge, and then the New Testament begins and Rome is now in charge. But what we, we may not realize that in between, there was another empire, the Greek Empire, and, and during those 400 years, the Greeks ruled during a lot of that time. And, and about 168 years before Jesus, the, there was a Greek king called Antiochus Epiphanes. And Antiochus was incredibly brutal. And he not only desecrated the temple in Jerusalem. We can go to the next slide there. He not only desecrated the, the Jerusalem temple, but he also outlawed the practice of Judaism. So he outlawed the reading of, of the Torah and the scriptures. He outlawed circumcising your, your baby boys. He, he outlawed keeping the Sabbath. And if you did those things, you might die. And so you had to choose to, to either compromise your faith or die. And then there was a group of, of freedom fighters, a group of rebels led by a guy named Judah Maccabee, Judah the Hammer. And they fought against the Greeks and they eventually retook Jerusalem. So in 165 BC, so that's 165 years before Jesus, they retook Jerusalem and they, they went into the temple and it had been desecrated. It had been, Idols had been worshipped in the temple. Pigs had been sacrificed on the altar. And they cleansed the temple and they rededicated it to God. So 165 years before Jesus, they instituted this feast where every winter for eight days, they would celebrate the fact that the temple had been recommitted to God, rededicated to God, re-consecrated. And that's what Hanukkah means. It means dedicated. And so that's what they were celebrating, and that's what they continue to celebrate, is the dedication of the temple to God, or the rededication. So with that in mind, look at John chapter 10, and starting in verse 22. It says, at that time, the feast of dedication, or in Hebrew, Hanukkah, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And of course, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you don't believe. Why? Because you're not among my sheep. My sheep, now, now write this one on your mind. We're going to come back to this idea. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they, what? Follow me. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me, and I know them, and they follow me. And the reason why you can see all of these things that I'm doing, and you still don't believe that I'm the Messiah, is because you're not among my sheep. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are what? One. Now, again, this is a theme that goes all the way throughout John. It's something we've been exploring and talking about this whole time. It's, it's Psalm 2 language, right? That the Messiah the king, the descendant of David, and God will be like father and son. But Jesus intensifies that to say we are so unified. Jesus isn't claiming to be the father, but he's claiming oneness 
with the Father. We are so in fellowship with one another that we are one. And the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because the Father sent me to do them, and it's the Father that's working through me. In fact, Jesus will say later that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The reason I work on the Sabbath, Jesus would say, is because the Father works on the Sabbath. All the things that I'm doing, I'm doing because the Father and I are one. Now, of course, their reaction to that was that they were outraged. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him, and Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it's not for good works that you're doing to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, I want you to see the last few weeks, we've talked about several different Jewish festivals and feasts and holy days, haven't we? We talked about the Sabbath, and we talked about the Passover. Last week, we talked about Sukkot, or the tabernacles or booths, and how Jesus is claiming to be the, the God who embodies the meaning. He embodies the meaning of all of these feasts and festivals, And how there were two reactions every time Jesus would teach these types of things. Either a a person believed, they heard what Jesus was saying, and they say, you know what, that makes sense, I'm going to follow you. Or they were incredibly incensed, they were outraged that he would make such a claim, believing, understanding that Jesus is making himself out to be God in the flesh. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, you are gods. Now, that's a reference to Psalm 82, and I wish we had time to really dig into Psalm 82, but suffice it to say that Jesus is saying, even in the scriptures, those that God partners with to rule and to, to judge are called Elohim and the sons of Elohim. He says, if, if they are called gods, if he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, Do you say of him, now here's where I really want us to hone in. Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said, I'm the Son of God? Did you see what Jesus called himself? Did you see what Jesus said about himself? Not only is he saying, as he often says, that the Father has sent him, but he's claiming to be the consecrated one, the dedicated one. Now, can you imagine, remember where Jesus is. He's standing in the temple, and they're celebrating the rededication, consecration, commitment of the temple. And Jesus is saying, you want to talk about consecrated and dedicated to God? I've been consecrated by God. I am the Holy One. I am the place where heaven and earth come together. The temple is great and wonderful, but Jesus, again, and we've traced this theme throughout John, haven't we? Remember in John chapter 1 and verse 14, John introduces us to Jesus, and one of the things he tells us about Jesus is that Jesus is God tabernacling with man, or more specifically, he's the word of God tabernacling with man. And then Jesus would say in John chapter 1 and verse 51, he says that the son of man is the one on whom the angels of God ascend and descend. He's the the house of God, the new Bethel. And then in chapter 2, even more specific, what he says about his body and the temple, and John would clarify for us that Jesus is claiming that his body is the temple of God. 
Jesus is claiming, I am the dedicated one. I am the consecrated one. I am the holy one. I am the tabernacle. I am the house of God. I am the temple of God. Now, again, if you were a Jewish person living in the first century, sort of your whole world, back to that revolve around analogy, your whole world would sort of revolve around the temple. Even if you didn't live in Jerusalem, you would pray toward Jerusalem, you would pray toward the temple, your whole world would revolve around the law and the temple. The temple is the God spot. It's the meeting place of heaven and earth. And Jesus is reorienting the people who will listen to him, not around the temple, but around himself. Again, I mean, think about it this way. Think about it if you were standing in Washington, D.C., and you were standing there with somebody in Washington, and somebody says, I am the Senate, or I am the White House. My body is the White House. I mean, not only would that be a strange claim to make, or if they were standing in in London and they said, "I, I am Buckingham Palace, or I am Parliament, or if they were in Moscow and they said, I am the Kremlin, what would they be saying? They're saying the seat of power is not in that building, it's in my body. I am the center of this kingdom or this government, or I am the seat of this power. And that's exactly what Jesus is claiming. I am the consecrated one. I am the place where heaven and earth come together. I am the temple of God. Look at verse 37. And if I'm, if I'm not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, that's how a Jew might think of the temple, that this is the place where the Father is, or God is in the temple and the temple is in God and they're all intertwined and this is the place where God is and Jesus says, that's me. And if you saw the signs and if you were paying attention and if you were my sheep, then you would understand that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me and he's reorienting the people of God around himself. Verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands and he went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first and there he remained. But look at verse 41. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man, about Jesus, was true, and many believed in him there. So if I had to sort of summarize this this story right here at the end of John chapter 10, it would be this way. Jesus is assembling a flock. That's what his language is, right? He's a shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. He's assembling a flock whose lives revolve around him in the same way that many Jews' lives revolved around the temple, And it made sense. It wasn't wrong that their lives revolved around the temple. That made sense. When that was the place that God was, then it made sense for their lives to revolve around the place where God is. But Jesus is saying, now now I want you to understand that the temple was pointing forward to me. And as the Messiah, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. I am the consecrated one. I am, my body is the temple of God. I am the house of God. I am the word of God tabernacling with you. And so Jesus is assembling a flock whose lives revolve around him the way that their lives used to revolve around the temple. 
So the question this morning is incredibly simple. Every, every Sunday we have sort of a moment of truth. We reflect on our own lives. So this is a simple question. And you might say, well, you went through all that to ask us this simple question. Does your life revolve around Jesus? But is it simple? How would you know? Does your life revolve around Jesus? Is he the center point that is so massive and huge and your love for him and your belief in him and your trust in him is so great that everything else in your life revolves around him? I mean, if I were to ask you, okay, let's make a list this morning. Let's like write down a list. How do you know that your life revolves around Jesus? What would you put on there? I come to church once a week. I I try not to cuss or steal or lie or, you know, I try to be a good person. You know, I vote for good candidates. I do this. I do that. Okay, okay, okay. But what is it that Jesus said that makes someone his sheep? In this text, he says, they listen to me and they follow me. So, I mean, let's be real, okay? Can we be real? I don't want to step on any toes, but let's just be real this morning. How much time this past week did you spend listening to Jesus? If your life really revolves around him, if, every, if he's the center of your universe, then how much time this week did you spend listening to the words of Jesus and reflecting on them and meditating on them and saying, how does this apply to my life? And what does it really look like for the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control of Jesus to be seen in me? What does it look like for me to turn the other cheek? What does it look like for me to hunger and thirst for righteousness? How much time did you spend this week thinking about the words of Jesus and intentionally being his sheep, his follower. Next week, Commitment Sunday, and listen, I've, I've been intentional about not preaching on money, because I don't want this to be about money, but listen, we've got to be real about our finances, and sometimes our finances are one of the best reflections of what our priorities are, and to what are we really committed, and what does our life really revolve around? So can we be real about our finances? Can, can we look at our own life and say, listen, if we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to live in great, beautiful, nice houses, and we spend tens and tens of thousands of dollars on nice cars so that we have the best and the most beautiful and most reliable and all of that. We spend thousands and thousands on vacations and entertainment and education and all of these things, and I'm not saying any of those things are wrong, but how much money are we individually investing in the mission of God? of taking the name of Jesus to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to our community, to the world. Does our life really revolve around Jesus? How much of our schedule revolves around Jesus? How much as parents, you know, as as a parent, I think about my kids and what is it that I'm encouraging my kids to do and be and we're sending our, our seniors off into the world. How many of us as parents send our kids off into the world with the expectation, go be successful? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean as a follower of Jesus to go out into the world and be successful? Well, I think it means, it means to prioritize the mission above money, doesn't it, for one? It means to prioritize the mission, even above happiness. But how many of us encourage our kids, grow up and be a missionary? I don't necessarily mean a missionary that goes somewhere. Maybe you do, and you go overseas, or you go somewhere else. 
But whatever you do, you are a missionary. Do we understand that? When you go to work or you go to school or you're with your neighbors, you are a missionary. Is the mission of God, is the mission of Jesus our priority? Does our life really revolve around Jesus? <laughs> and if we're honest, I mean, we really answer that honestly, we'd say not entirely, right? I think all of us could say that, couldn't we? We could say not entirely. My life doesn't entirely revolve around Jesus, and that's what we need to work on. It's a process. We begin that process when we're baptized and we commit ourselves to Jesus, but then from that moment on, we're, we're reorienting everything in our life around Jesus. Minute by minute, dollar by dollar, Thought by thought, priority by priority, everything, we're bringing it into subjection and submission to King Jesus. And we're trying to figure out, okay, you know what, this part of my life, it's not, I haven't, this doesn't revolve around Jesus, and I need to change that. So let's spend some time today. Let's spend some time this week thinking about to what are you committed? To what is your family committed? To what is this church family committed? I'll tell you, those 82 families that committed over $3 million, it's not just that they're committed to a a building. They're committed to the mission of Jesus. And that's what we want to be, a church family who is committed to Jesus. And our lives revolve around him, so we do whatever is necessary to build up the body of Christ and to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let's spend some time Maybe you have spent some time and maybe you're ready to be baptized into Jesus and say, I'm ready to start that process of letting my entire life revolve around Jesus. Or maybe you've just gotten off track or maybe you just need prayers. Listen, I tell you every week, but we cannot know what you're going through and what's on your heart and what's on your mind unless you tell us. But we want to walk through life with you. Our shepherds would love nothing more than for you to go back and pray with them after service or all of us together as a church family, let us help you or pray with you, encourage you, anything we can do. Right now, come forward as we stand and sing.